Today's show is brought to you by MParticle, the only customer data platform built for omnichannel experiences. Did you know the average American owns four digital devices? And to understand and engage with those customers, a large company typically uses more than two dozen different technology systems. The world's most innovative brands use MParticle's API to unify all this customer data into a single source of truth. Then MParticle seamlessly delivers that data to any marketing or analytics platform without any additional work. Visit mparticle.com to learn how your business can improve customer experiences and accelerate growth. Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, coming to you from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode. You may know me as a big fan of Silicon Valley, although I am only talking about the television show. But in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. You can find more episodes of Recode Decode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Or just visit recode.net slash podcast for more. Today in the red chair is Ellen Pau, who is the author of the new book, Reset, My Fight for Inclusion and Lasting Change. In 2015, she sued her former employer, the venture capital firm Kleiner Perkins Caulfield Buyers, for gender discrimination. She also worked in business development at Reddit before serving as its interim CEO. Today, she is a partner at Kapoor Capital and co-founder of the nonprofit diversity organization Project Include. I have interviewed Ellen many times before. We covered the trial, and I've known her for a very long time. Ellen, welcome to Recode Decode. Thank you for having me. No problem. You've been on a tear. You've been sort of everywhere. It's Ellen Powell. This book is getting a lot of attention. It's been good. It's yeah. been great. And good. also, it's been calling attention to the issues. Which, which is, is now, of course, it's perfect timing um, or bad time or good timing for bad things or whatever. So let's we're going to talk about the book in a second. But first, I want to talk about sort of how but we're going to assume people don't know who you are. Everyone in Silicon Valley certainly does. But let's talk about what how you got to where you got you had you had started off you have quite a resume. Uh, you started off educational and, and how you work. So why don't you go through that really quickly? Uh, so I started out studying electrical engineering at Princeton, mm-hmm. and I also did a side certificate in the Wilson School of Public and International Affairs. I went straight to Harvard Law School. Mm-hmm. But can I just go before that? In the book, yeah. you talk a lot about your background and growing up. It sort of seems idyllic, the upbringing oh, nice. you had. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't quite idyllic because it was a little bit of a small town. They didn't mm-hmm. really have very many Asians, so there was a little bit of tension there. But you know, but my parents were, you know, like we had dinner together every night. It was very mm-hmm. um, education oriented. And, you know, my mom was a researcher at Bell Labs. So we had access to computers. We had, yeah, my dad was a math professor. So, you know, it was very, you know, we had access to a lot of information and a lot of, um, you know, and educational tools and, and focus and, and achievement around achievement. Yeah. Achievement. The thought was like they had come from China on education scholarships and for them, like education was the path to success and the path mm-hmm. to contributing back. And it wasn't gender based. They were pushing. Right. Both. I mean, they had, we had three girls, so right, there was exactly. no ability to be unfair or but also it wasn't that is that you should your mother was a researcher she had a significant job and and the idea was that you could achieve whatever you want that's the pressing idea yeah but the goals weren't that great but, mm-hmm. you know the, they were like if you could be a professor or a doctor that would be so awesome mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. but you can do it if you work hard enough right exactly so you went on to princeton go ahead go ahead i uh, went on to princeton and then um after princeton i went to harvard law school mm-hmm. and i practiced corporate law for two years a year in new york and then a year in hong kong mostly men in the group um and 
it was fine, but I knew from my summer jobs that I didn't want to practice law. Like, right. there was a lot of unhappy people who are lawyers. Sure, that's a different story. That's not necessarily gender-based. Everyone in law seems unhappy yeah, pretty it, much. Yeah. But, but you had electrical engineering as your background in Princeton. Why yeah. didn't you, why, why corporate law? I mean, why not engineering, really? I didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. It was kind of a little bit of ignorance. But also, I liked the logic. Like, and, and I thought I could do big things with law that mm-hmm. at the time the, the electrical engineering was a little bit, you know, the, the Silicon Valley wasn't that big yet. It was more limited. And I, I just didn't know what was out there. So I thought corporate law, I could, you know, make, have an impact. And I ended up not realizing what corporate law actually was. All right. So yeah. you had this great resume early on. So you were in an, on an achievement path, which many yep. people are. So you, you from there you went where? I went to Harvard Business School. Mm-hmm. Um, I spent all right, so you got all of them. I got all of them. Like I, I wanted to come back, and then I was like, I, I'm so out of touch with tech. I'm going to go back to business school. I ended up spending my summer at Bain in mm-hmm. San Francisco, and I worked for a couple of tech projects and loved it. I thought it was great. Came back after what were they? business what, what, school. Um, I don't know if we're allowed to talk about oh, right, okay. our clients, I, but one was like a big software company and one was a hardware company that was tanking. So it was two, like one on the rise in a new industry and one tanking. So you could see what was, it, it was just an interesting contrast. It was mm-hmm. fun. And so from there, you you went to the business school and your goal there was to? To get back into tech. Get back into tech. So I came back out. I joined this startup called Web TV. Which um, forgot you were there. Yeah, and then it got bought. Yeah. Well, before I started, it got announced that Microsoft had acquired right. it. So I joined in this flux where it was before Microsoft really uh, dug its fingers into it. Mm-hmm. But um, but there was some change, and but it was cool. There were a lot of cool people. There were a lot of people from General Magic and yep. from Apple, and uh, and you know we're building a cool product. It was like revolutionary at the time right like people would be using the internet and their computers in the living room instead of in the office that's right You're and right, that right. was a new right. concept and then microsoft immediately tanked it down like it just was one of those yeah. there were like 27 purchases during that era that were all and a lot of people got very wealthy doing that and so you went yeah. from there to i went from there to a startup called tell me networks oh you were telling me with mike McHugh. okay yeah right and that was fun. also got bought by microsoft it also got bought by microsoft i actually i did in between i worked for andy rubin at mm-hmm. danger research mm-hmm. which also got bought by microsoft right okay so three big like over 300 million dollar acquisitions by microsoft um i also worked at my cfo mm-hmm. so i worked I with some really cool that. people and i worked jim with some clark. Cool no, who's that? Was that jim, jim clark yeah, yeah i'll never forget i was at a dinner with him and he said you know Kara, if you have a couple million dollars you need to you, you I was like, um, your group is a little small, like, because he lived in this world of multi-millionaires, yeah. and it was very funny. I just didn't think that, I thought people who are very wealthy like to be petted quite a bit, and so I didn't see how an online portal for their wealth was something that they, I don't know, I was, and I you questioned were right. it. it yes, yeah, so I was like, rich people sold. like the leather and the and the coffee and the and the champagne. And to guess. call somebody and have right. them accountable it, right yes, away. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that was an attempt at that. And so you were a lot, of, you were very pleased. So how did you get to Kleiner? Somebody, a friend of mine, showed me the job spec, mm-hmm. and he this has for been chief pitched staff. for chief of staff. But he mm-hmm. didn't; he wasn't interested. But you know, you looked at the job spec, and it was they wanted somebody with an electrical engineering degree or computer science degree from a top school, and they wanted somebody with a JD MBA, and mm-hmm. they wanted somebody who um, had you know jobs at leading enterprise software companies mm-hmm. and worked at startups, so preferably Kleiner backed. Right. right. So tell me, was Kleiner backed? Um, 
And then what were the other requirements? And then, you know, the jobs in these companies had to be either corporate development or business development. And I'd done business development. And then the last thing was they wanted somebody who spoke Chinese, mm-hmm. Mandarin Chinese. Oh, wow. And I was like, this is really weird because it matches my background exactly. And I had absolutely no rhyme or reason for any of the things I've done. So mm-hmm. it was all very random, but the, it fit some specific ideal of a person that they were looking for. And I was like, well, I'll just interview and see, like, you know, see what they're thinking, why it's mm-hmm. interesting. Um, and I actually, I turned down the job initially. I was like, mm-hmm. you know, not for me. I'm on this trajectory. And, you know, they're telling me in a year I could be a VP, but I'm ready. I'll be a VP in a year at a startup mm-hmm. if I just continue on this track. Right. But then, like, John Doerr sold me. Like, right. You know, he's a, and he is John Doerr. He was, he's he, the best salesperson in the world. So mm-hmm. he sat me down. He was like, just do it. Um, just try, you know, it will open doors. And I said, well, why not? All right, so your idea was you wanted to become a venture capitalist or that it just was like the, to be sitting next to John Doerr during all these deal making is like a great seat. Yeah, uh, to be sitting next to John Doerr in in a an industry that was just changing. I mean, mm-hmm. it was transforming and he had the catbird seat. So to be next to him, to be able to see everything that was going on, to be able to see all these new technologies was exciting to me. Yeah, and so you yeah. did this. So it would be a job most people would take. Like, yeah. what a great opportunity kind of thing. So you, I don't want to, because lit- we covered the trial a lot. Everyone covered the trial a lot. But it immediately, relatively soon, turned badly there. And you yeah. go up very briefly and then you get to the trial. I was, so I was there, I guess, Two years, and I tried to quit. And they're mm-hmm. like, no, 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 you're doing the best of anybody in the firm. You should stay. And I yeah. said, fine. So I stayed. And then, let's see, and then in 2012, so that must have been like four years later, like things just kept happening. Right. I wasn't progressing. None of the women were progressing. And and bad things were happening to people. I ended up going through every avenue I could internally. And finally, I said, okay, this has to what stop. What prevented you from leaving? I'm just curious. Because like, this was a, like a fast-moving time, too, in Silicon Valley. In 2012? Yeah. I oh, I guess you're right. 2008 was a little slow. But it got... It but I, like I could have left, but I was yeah. like, but somebody has to stop this. Like, right. Something right. really bad could have happened. Right. And I would have felt that was right. on me. Right. Because right. I had let that person... I had let yeah. the guy who was harassing people stay. Mm-hmm. And they shouldn't have put it on me to make right. that decision. But... I felt like it was my fault and bad things happened to this other partner. I thought worse things could keep happening if nobody mm-hmm. holds people accountable, accountable. Yeah, right, and, right. and changes the culture because mm-hmm. this is something that seems to now be rewarded. Mm-hmm. So I said I was going to stay and file this complaint and then I was going to leave. And then my lawyers were like, no, 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 you, you need to stay. Right, right. So I ended up staying for six more months. Right. And so the trial, we wrote a lot about the trial. And I just would love to get your, you wrote about this in the book. And, and maybe you recount that now. How do you feel about how it went? Obviously, you didn't win. They had an astonishing legal firm against yours. They had so many troops. It was really kind of visually fascinating to watch. And a little yeah. bit scary, actually, from your perspective. It was just so unfair. And mm-hmm. also, I like my team, they were ethical. They were really like, they followed the law. They wanted the truth to come out. Mm-hmm. And there was less of that on the other side. I, I don't want to call them unethical, but there was just like, you know, the way they presented things was very... It was super aggressive. They had a narrative about you. And you yes. actually talked about it in the book. This, I wasn't, it was, I think I tweeted the quote. It was, uh, you, were, you were aggressive and unlikable and yet shy and not, you know, nothing yeah, Sharp elbows or not sharp enough. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it continues. But, um, yeah, but the, like there was nothing I could have done to be perfect. And mm-hmm. 
But the thing is, we did the same thing to the other women in the firm. So mm-hmm. there was this narrative around like how we worked that was very sharpened and presented in a way that was incredibly aggressive at trial. Were you surprised by that? No. Of course, that's what they would do. I'm not yeah. surprised in any way. And but. you see it with every other person who sues. Right. Oh, they're poor performer. Oh, their case has no merit. We're going to fight vigorously. Mm-hmm. So how, do you, how did you feel after the trial? It, was, it, was, it went on for a long time. It did yeah. open people's eyes, I think. There was no question about it. I remember, because we covered it quite a bit, that I would be places and someone would say, oh, I had that experience. Like, you know, it was the first time I think women did start talking about it. I was at yeah. one event and someone was reading our coverage and they're like, oh, yeah, I know that one, oh, that one. You know what I mean? It was really an yeah. interesting... There were people who were reading your coverage every day because mm-hmm. you were live tweeting from the trial yeah, and we that were. had an impact. Live blogging, yeah. Yeah, Shonda Rhimes was like, I followed your trial every day because mm-hmm. I told her, I'm like, I watched your show every week <laughs> because I was like, that was my one escape. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think it had an impact on people because it was the first time these things were articulated out loud in public. Mm-hmm. And there were so many people who said, you know, these things happened to me, but I haven't even told my husband. Mm-hmm. I, didn't, I haven't told anybody for 10 years, but these things happened, so I believe you. And right. I think it was also the aggressiveness of the attacks on me where mm-hmm. people were like, hey, I actually believe you. And they mm-hmm. felt like they wanted to come out and say that to me. And that was super helpful to me. Do you have regrets about doing that or, or, or your own, anything that you did that you think you did wrong? Like not wrong, I'm not saying you did something wrong, but in terms of strategically in dealing with this. Yeah, I mean, I could have been smarter on the PR front. I could have spent more time with the press. I could have had, you know, I think they had like points every day that they were trying to make and mm-hmm. they were handing them out. And I was more like, oh, my lawyer said we shouldn't say anything. The judge said not to say anything. So I'm mm-hmm. gonna follow the rules. And mm-hmm. that obviously it didn't work so well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think early on, the fact that every juror candidate who believed that tech was a biased industry got booted off, like I, that seems like a fundamental error. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I sh- should have pushed harder against that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I ended up giving 700,000 pages of documents. They gave 5,000, right? Mm-hmm. So that wasn't a great strategy, mm-hmm. but I just didn't have the resources. So they right. had people who, you know, they had teams of people they doing did. things and I, I just didn't. You didn't. So when yeah. were you surprised by the outcome? There was a part of me that was like, it's so unfair and mm-hmm. like I should win. But mm-hmm. when if you look at how the law slices, like you need to win by like more than you're a 50%. lawyer. I mean, you have. Yeah. So degree. I can understand it, even though I was corporate, like, you know, they it, it had to be one specific type of bias. So mm-hmm. it had to be the gender bias that was holding me back by more than 50 percent mm-hmm. chance. And, you know, but there was also age bias and there was also racial bias so mm-hmm. you know is was it all gender or was there some other factor in i was it? fascinated by the racial part of it i they were it, the thing that, that I, I suppose i should have been struck by the gender issues but i was more struck by how they were portraying you as an asian person because they use words like inscrutable it felt so like like an old charlie chan movie like inscrutable like the, the all the old idiotic tropes about asians were in there in that trial and i kept no one noticed them i kept going what did they just say she was inscrutable? Because I think that's what they just said. Like, it was really interesting. I found that to be much more disturbing to me in many ways, because the other stuff was so obvious. This was, these were slowly layered in, in a way that I thought was very effective also at the yeah. same time. I don't know if it helped the jury, de- dealt with the jury or not like that. So when the, the, when the trial ended, now you, and you write about this in the book, it, it puts you at a crossroads of like, what are you going to do? Because you had put yourself out there yeah. almost completely. Completely, actually. You were definitely a kind of a canary in the coal mine of this issue. 
And one of the things that we wrote about quite a bit was that a lot of people, the result wasn't, this is terrible. It's, oh, we can't have so many women. Yeah. That was just a weird, isolated incident. Oh, Ellen's she's got problem. some problems. Yeah. Ellen's got some problems. Meaning, that I think it's the, the she's not a perfect victim argument, essentially. How did you feel immediately after? Well, there's a sense of relief. Like, finally, like I can just get out of this and not have to be in the public spotlight, not have to be thinking about these issues. I could just move on. Um, That's not and, what happened. No, but also I was still at Reddit, so right. you know I was still working. Mm-hmm. It was like a relief also to be able to focus 100% on on running Reddit. Yeah, I think it was it was hard to see like that this was happening to so many other people, mm-hmm. and there was still this narrative about how like this case was a problem. It's now making people less willing to hire women right. and. And also there's so much focus on the gender and there are also all of these other types of bias and discrimination. Mm-hmm. You know, it was there was not like a sophistication around the discussions around it. It was mm-hmm. very much like, how do we hold on to what we've set up and make sure that we can continue to run things the way we've been running things? Right. So what do you imagine the impact was? Because I think it was a much later. I think you sort of set the ground up for what then came this past yeah. year. I, I think it was giving people a better understanding of what's happening that you know a lot of things had happened to individuals and they didn't know how to process it mm-hmm. and here was a way of like looking at it in context and having it you know kind of voiced as this is actually discriminate discriminatory mm-hmm. this is actually bias and this is what is systematically preventing you from succeeding mm-hmm. and it's not your own fault and people you know they started talking to each other they started talking publicly and you saw this slew of woman after woman after woman and a few men bringing up their own stories each time getting slammed mm-hmm. each you know by the press or by the public but mm-hmm. you know but but I think there were enough people behind the scenes being supportive so mm-hmm. I would write to some of them mm-hmm. and you know tell them that what they were doing you know you're doing a good thing I believe you that you know this really did happen to you and just ignore the comments mm-hmm. right just mm-hmm. move move on and I think over time it laid the groundwork for Susan to come out you know and she did a great job narrating her mm-hmm. experience yeah. and for people to say, all right, this is actually happening. Let's not try to pick apart right. the, story the story or the person. Let's look at the problem. And right. I think in the last year, we've seen people now Why understand there is a problem. It was interesting because yours is gender discrimination. Hers was, I think, even though I think what she really was writing about was a management out of control, which I think is yeah. why it was so effective. But she was talking about sexual harassment, too, which is a road down the entire... It's another avenue, a terrible, horrible avenue. But do you think that's why it had so much more resonance with Susan at Uber? Or is it or is it part of the same... I think it was a mix. Trope? I think there were enough people who had then, you know, like, laid the groundwork. And mm-hmm. I know from people coming up to me in the street or writing to me that there were men who were starting to say, you know... My coworker told me this thing happened to her too, and mm-hmm. you bringing it up made her feel comfortable talking about it. So I believe you too. So I think there were enough people starting to talk about it that it laid the groundwork for people to believe. Mm-hmm. I also think there was, you know, she did a great job being, you know, very meticulous. She had all the receipts. She was very careful in like, I'm not doing this for money. I'm not doing this for fame. I am just laying out what happened to me. So very unemotional, very Yeah, it was unemotional. Careful, That's exactly right? the right word for it, which is interesting. But you did that too. You People had your, weren't ready. People yeah, were not ready. You had ready your list. Remember, one of the things you read about in the book is this 
you had your list, your what is it, gripe? What is it called? What did you call it? The the gripe the, the trial. I'm blanking. Oh, Remember? I know. Oh, I, I, like you know, it was like a therapy thing that mm-hmm. I, my resentment list. Yeah, yeah. And you know, it should never have been in the courtroom. But right. Yeah, because it made you seem like an angry lady. Like right. keeping track of like yeah, things. Slights. But oh, yeah, like, whatever. But I also think like. People loved Kleiner. Mm-hmm. There were a few people who had had terrible experiences, and they reached out to me. But in general, people and loved they loved John Doerr. They loved John Doerr, and they were afraid of mm-hmm. Kleiner. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, Uber did not have that reputation. No, there was, you know, it, it had a reputation of being aggressive, of you know, not following the law, and of being invasive of privacy and right, you know, kind of this. That's a fair point. I didn't thought about that because they're like, let's kill that. Even though they were sort of a, the honeypot of Silicon Valley right now, at the same time, nobody they had no friends. Yeah, and they had the God view, and they, you mm-hmm. know they're doing all sorts of things that were kind of riding the edge of and so ethics of course and values. they did this too. Yeah, which it was easier did. to believe. And right. you know if if Kleiner could do this, and we thought they were so great, like well, of course Uber's doing it. I want to talk a little bit when we get back about what happened at Reddit, and then what was the, this book and what you've been trying to the point you're trying to make because it's called Reset, which presumably means we have to start resetting ourselves. And I want to talk about whether we have or not. We're here with Ellen Powell, whose new book, Reset, My Fight for Inclusion and Lasting Change, has just been published. And obviously, she's one of the best-known people in Silicon Valley. (laughs) People know who you are, Ellen. Yeah. And when we get back, we'll talk more about her new book. This episode is brought to you by MParticle, the customer data platform for every screen. And I'm here with co-founder and CEO Michael Katz. So, Mike, you recently announced a major funding with the intent of bringing relationship marketing, also known as CRM, which is the fancy, <laughs> this is a word nobody understands, but except for <laughs> CRM people, until the multi-screen era. So what's the future of CRM? Yeah, so customers are engaging with brands across more devices than ever. Brands need to create a consistent and personalized experience across these devices. Mm-hmm. So, because things have gotten real confusing, that there's so many da- devices and ways and data platforms that people come in on. Exactly. When it was just a website, you knew everything that a customer was doing digitally. Now, they may start on their phone, they may go to the website using their laptop. If certain brands have an app on, say, Apple TV, they may engage there. They may download the app to the mobile phone and complete the transaction or go to the store. So there's oftentimes five or six different systems involved. And so it starts with having a data platform that was built to ingest data from anywhere, create a unified view of the customer, and then in real time sync that data out to all the different systems that that business uses to effectively run and grow their company. Where can we learn more about what you're doing? Go to www.mparticle.com or follow us on Twitter at mparticles with an S. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks. We are here in the red chair with Ellen Pau, who is the author of a new book, Reset, My Fight for Inclusion and Lasting Change. Ellen is a well-known venture capitalist. She's she's a techie, I guess. Would you call yourself a yeah. techie? Um, talk, why, so why did you write this book? We just talked about the trial. You know, it definitely took its toll on your life. And they attacked your personal life quite a bit, which was which was disturbing to a lot of people to watch that happen, sort of the yeah. character assassination. Uh, you know, people are more than welcome, I think, not to like you or at, on its on their own, but it really was quite a like a an effort. So you went to you were read it afterwards. Um, yep. You became CEO, and then you became subject to a series of eviscerating attacks online. But it's been you know, but we made the right decisions, right? right? So we right. got rid of um, we got rid of unauthorized uh, pictures, n- yeah. naked pictures. We mm-hmm. got rid of revenge porn, and then all the other companies followed. So we were yeah. the first big company to do that. Right. And then we got rid of some of these really um, 
harassing subreddits. And then recently there was a report that said, I think out of Georgia Tech, that said like the work that we did actually worked, mm-hmm. right? So those five subreddits coming down, the those bullying, people, the yep, ugliness, changed the behavior of the people mm-hmm. who were doing it, and it you know helped um, make the site better. But we, we knew that when we were doing it, but it was hard for people to accept that change. And then in this environment where people were very wedded to free speech, it became a personal attack on me. Right. So why did you pay and not Alexis or any of the others? I think it was, um, you know, there's a lot of misogyny and racism on the site. Mm-hmm. It's not pretty. And when the person who's trying to get rid of it is actually a woman of color, it, uh, it just inflames some of those emotions and mm-hmm. those reactions. Mm-hmm. Did you expect that level of ire? You know, we talked about it. Like, yeah. the site is noxious, yeah. right? So I was expecting some, but like, you know, they're just the attacks on my family and mm-hmm. the amount of energy. You know, people did these yeah. like super elaborate, you know, memes and yeah, I saw some. And then like and then photoshopping to perfection. I'm just like, think about the good that you could do if you put that to work someplace. Right, right. My God, you didn't suggest that, did you? I think I said something in my book about that. Because yeah, really, yeah. The, like yeah, that amount of energy right. and effort, and right. it was actually quite skilled in some cases. Why do you think that is? Why? Why is that? Why do you attract that? And I'm saying it's your fault, but what yeah. is it? What is the? I think like I would not engage. Right. So you know, I did not. And you had done the trial, so you're well known for that. Yeah, and also I, like you know, I, I just have a super thick skin. Having come through all of that, I was just like, no, I know what we're doing is right, mm-hmm. and we're just going to keep going. Mm-hmm. And if I, you know, and because I was so sure about it and and unwavering, like it helped my team. Right, right. they're like, okay, we're on this path, and you know, she's not wait, she's not joking. Like, let's just right. do it. And and I think, you know, it was a team effort, very much so, and. I supported their decisions. You know, somebody else, uh, the person who headed our uh, community team, picked the five subreddits to take down, mm-hmm. and we were like, and I was like, "This is your call. It's your team that's going to be dealing with all this." So mm-hmm. I'm backing you 100. percent And we just went and we did it. Mm-hmm. But it was not, um, you know, I think you know, it was the woman on the team who got, you know, doxed and who mm-hmm. got photoshopped, and and you know, one person got fat shamed. Like it was, it, there was just a lot of misogyny, and I think. Right. You know, the and I don't know if that was a strategy to put me in there to take all that, but you know, it it kind of took leave? a lot of the energy out. They asked me to leave, right. so um, the stated reason they said to me was we wanted to get to, you know, and it varied like 350 million users or 500 million users by the end of the year, and I said that is not possible. Mm-hmm. That just is not possible. We're going to focus our effort on getting rid of all this, right? You know, all this harassment on the site and getting rid of some other of the noxious parts of the site. So like we're not focused on growth and you know the product is barely working and scaling. So there's a lot of things that need to be fixed. Yeah, we got a lot of technical debt and and you want us to hire. So there's only so much that can be done. I can't commit to you that we'll get to 350 million and they're like, oh, "Okay, so we'll find somebody else." I don't think they're at 350 million now 2 years no. later. Yeah, yeah. Um it's interesting because I think a lot of when you think about where the priorities are, one of the ones that runs strongly through the valley is this free speech idea and why are we bothering with this and and isn't that you you talk about that a lot. What how do we is that something that's because uh, it goes back and forth and whether it's a good thing, but that's one of the things you always hear is well, people should be able to say what they want. People should be able to do what they want. Why can't you yeah. know these tools are not you or are, are are there not to be 
restricted. Yeah, I was one of those people. Like right. I in college, I was the editor of this college daily paper, and I was very much like, what we do is hugely valuable, and we mm-hmm. need to be able to write what we want to write. We outed some professors for bad behavior. We, you know, like that that journalistic integrity and being able to write what you want to write is not how it's played out on the internet. Mm-hmm. So it's not used like this idea of free speech is used to protect harassing behavior and harassing messages. And that, I think, is actually counter to the actual goals of free speech. Mm-hmm. The goals of free speech are to have this platform where people share ideas and you have conversations and you convince each other about the benefit of you know all these different ideas and opinions coming together. And what you end up with is a bunch of really loud you know, high populated groups mm-hmm. pushing off other people, the marginalized voices that free speech is supposed to enable and protect. So how do you solve that? Because on one hand, you want to hear the ugly speech, don't mm-hmm. you or not? If it's ideas, but if it's just, I'm going to shout a bunch of curse words at you, nobody wants to hear that. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's take James Damore, for example, which mm-hmm. I just talked to Susan Majewski yesterday around about the firing around it. She was quite firm that they did the right thing. Oh, I, I at, agree. At Google. Yeah. Others did not. Yeah. And and there's definitely, they don't often say it, but I know it's there and you hear it and you can see there's a lot of people very supportive of him and mm-hmm. what he said. And he didn't say, you know, Google's made its argument, which I think I agree is also correct, that he create, he would create an unsafe work environment or anything like that. But, you know, what's happening in Berkeley, what's happening everywhere else, and the groups of men who want to say what they want to say, it's part of me is like, yeah, let's hear them. Let's, let's hear the ugliness because it's not... It's not helpful to shut it down. Pretend it doesn't exist. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So how do you but, look at that? Okay, so... So who decides? I mean, that's yeah. the, the, the difficult part. I think it's different from, like, my work environment. Mm-hmm. Like, who are my peers and who am I working with? Like, I don't want to have people in my office telling people that they are not qualified, that mm-hmm. they, you know, that women are worse engineers than men. Like, mm-hmm. that is not productive to my work environment. Like, right. that is not my value as a company. So right. that idea has to go. And if mm-hmm. you can't be convinced that mm-hmm. that is not the case, then you're not going to be a productive contributing member of my team, no matter if what. this is the goals of the team, right? Yeah. Right, right, right. 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 I think it's... A, I'm just thinking the Army, the Air Force colonel just gave that speech yeah. just the other Get day. Out. Get out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think there's a difference between like what should the government enable and you know what should you be able to say on these different platforms mm-hmm. from like what are you able to say in the work environment and what are you able right. to So the work environment should be whatever the work decides it wants to be right? and its values yeah right and right. and you know right so I think that's for me a pretty easy case and then how do you think about free speech from the broader perspective of I'm a platform and I mm-hmm. want to encourage these ideas and right. allow people to see it. I think for us at Reddit it was when you are harassing people to the point they don't feel safe, they stop participating on your platform, that is the line that we're willing to draw. Mm-hmm. And we want all voices to be able to use the platform. There was a period of time where, you know, before we got rid of the unauthorized nude pictures, mm-hmm. the whole site was people looking for naked pictures of celebrities. Mm-hmm. And we could not get anything else in because the demand was so high and we just couldn't service the actual real conversation. So right. is that what you want your site to be? Like devolve into right. the, you know, the crap. That the naked celebrity want. picture site. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're the only site that allows it, then that is what you're going to be. And mm-hmm. you don't have any good conversations. Right. Then, right. Right. 
So, but how do you allow these voices to still have these opinions? Like, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm just using James as an example, Demar as an example. I don't, I don't know him. Should he be able to articulate these things, and should we listen to them, or should they be like who decides on what's tolerant? So to I actually don't like giving him that much attention and Why? credit. Why? Because I think he's like some rando. Who oh, I don't. To I think he's up. common. I think he's yeah, very... Yeah, I think, but but why him? He's not, him not in a particular. special person. No. The ideas, I agree with, right. uh, that we should be talking about them, but why should we give him any attention? There's no reason to. Well, because I think he does represent lots of people. Yeah. I think I think to say, oh, he's... But to use I, his name and to give him all that attention and to... I actually, I had a huge problem with the New York Times article mm-hmm. to present these ideas without any kind of context and right. to give him that platform I think well was except that I think in hearing them I think a lot of what's interesting is happening not just there but just Berkeley everywhere else it's like we don't want to hear it why not hear it why not hear Milo why not hear listen I don't want to listen to Laura Ingram but I want to listen to Laura Ingram you know what I mean like I feel like it's if we don't hear it it's pretending it's not there and it feeds into that movement which is depicting things as they are is a really important valuable thing. I guess, where is the line between depicting them as they are and encouraging them, right? So some of these ideas are not, you know, are not ones that you want to have encouraged and not by your institution. So similar to, it's different because it's not a workplace, but similar to your workplace, there are certain ideas that you don't want to encourage. Well, yeah, except then who decides? I mean, the issue is it's not just the media, but it's the platforms, Facebook Mm -hmm. and others, because they're now de facto news organizations, as far as I can tell. Yeah. I don't think not hearing, it's like taking a photograph. The photograph is what it is. And so I don't, like, I'm thinking of this election. We didn't listen to a lot of, you know, like, should you quote David Duke? Absolutely. If we had been quoting him more, we would have seen it coming, right? You know, or, or under, like, oh, he's a fringe person. I'm like, is he? You know what I mean? Like, that's the difficulty of this. I think it's a, I think there's, there's I, I've heard the a lot. Don't give ideas. people a platform. Well, why, why not articulate them? That, I it's think so, inter- but I think it's like, but you need to provide the context. You right. need to provide, you know, you can't just end up with these silos that we have yes, now exactly. where it's like, you know, these echo chambers and it's just people kind of spinning out of control and mm-hmm. fake news coming up and people believing it because right. it's gotten so far from the truth and there's no communication between the two sides. So I think, right. you know, you have to be responsible as you do it and you can't just allow this random crap to proliferate without any kind of context. So what do you, what do, you do? Because then that requires people to have a, a point of view. Like, you know, Google was very quick to get rid of him, like, because it's a workplace issue and that's what they hung their hat on. But I think internally within Google, there's a lot of people who supported this guy. Like, so what does a company like Google do, for example? Uh, or or if you're Facebook, you know, they were very loath to move into this Russia area because they're like, we're just a benign platform and we don't know what goes on here. But that, and I but, see but why I they don't. That's bullshit. I, I know that. I agree with you. And yeah. I've said that many times. But at the same time, taking their point of view, it's like, who decides? Like, they don't want to They don't want to decide. But they make all these decisions every day. What right. is spam? Right. What is an allowed, you know, breast on Facebook? And mm-hmm. they're not particularly good at it from what I've seen mm-hmm. you know so they're making these decisions why not make this decision around this they're deciding what's terrorist mm-hmm. you know what is a terrorism on your site but so why not cover this area as well I I don't I think you have to draw clear rules so mm-hmm. I think that's the problem like I don't know if you saw mm-hmm. maybe it was like a month or two ago they the, like the rule book was mm-hmm. yes presented and it was a mess it mm-hmm. was a total mess so I think you, you have to have clear rules that you can point to and that people can understand so that you're working mm-hmm. within a system like raising a child. you got to give them the boundaries and you right. got to follow the boundaries or it's chaos. So who should make those rules? 
That's, I yeah. think that's what, and I think these are people that are already free, down the free speech road pretty far. But the problem is when you don't make rules, mm-hmm. you are, you know, you're allowing this behavior that rules. ends up making rules. Right, so exactly. you are making rules anyway, so you may as well take, own up, take the responsibility, or hire some people that you pay a shit ton of money to Why do Why don't that. they want to? Why do you think they don't want to? Because they really it still is don't. It's so much cheaper not to do it, right? <laughs> free speech is easy. Yeah. It's free. You just let it go. Whatever happens, right. happens. So right. that's, I think, where Reddit got where it is today. Like It was a super small organization. Um, it's easier just to say we allow whatever, you know, it's an easy rule. Anything goes. It's yeah. a super easy rule, right? Mm-hmm. Like we allow whatever you want to say to go on the platform and that's it. So you don't have to pay anybody to monitor it. You don't have to build technology to prevent it. It's mm-hmm. a... You know, it's a free for all, and and everybody understands it, and that's mm-hmm. what happens. Mm-hmm. And so, money. I don't think money's just it. I don't, but I don't think money's just it. It's something else. That's it's money and prioritization, right? Right. It's. I'd rather get more users. I'd rather figure out my business model. I'd rather make sure the technology scales. And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, the rules around the community and all of these many complicated decisions get And they're not subject to the abuse either. They never see it themselves. They never get No, because most of them are white men. Right, yeah. right. So how do you change that idea? Like, you you discuss this issue. How do you get that? In the next section, I want to talk about Project Include and things you're doing now. But how do you get them to that? Because, again, I would rather see what they actually think. Like, pretending they don't think like this is... Yeah. I want to hear from them. So at Reddit, I was working with a project manager on this idea of bringing together like subreddits that are opposing mm-hmm. and having conversations between like the more thoughtful people from those subreddits. Right. So find the moderators who are open to having a conversation and are not mm-hmm. just going to scream at the other side and right. actually have a conversation yeah. about these mm-hmm. different issues and see if you can bring people together a little bit more, right? Or at least have people think through these ideas yeah. and just create like conversations across different groups of subreddits so that it's not these silos that and you can build some empathy and you can build some understanding and you can mm-hmm. hopefully stop shouting at each other. Mm-hmm. Do you imagine you can do that? Because it seems like things have gotten real far. I think there are still people that you can, but it will be harder to find those people. And it, there'll be a set of people who will never, you know, say that was a good conversation. Mm-hmm. It, it is harder to bring everybody together. I agree because there's so much misinformation out there. People are so locked into their views and they've had so much confirming information because mm-hmm. of the way the news gets presented today. Mm-hmm. So are you blaming the media? I'm just curious. Is it the media's fault or is it Facebook's fault or what is the, or people just t- using these yeah. tools? You could say, you know, it's really interesting that the U.S. built all these social media tools and they become weaponized by Russia. So they're using things yeah. we invented. And I do think these people never thought of these consequences in the first place. No, I, I totally agree. I think agree. they absolutely don't. I had a conversation at Facebook when live and I kept saying, well, someone's going to kill someone. And you know, a lot of their executives were like, Kara, you're so cynical. And I was like, what? Like, I'm yeah. sorry, people are awful. Like, yeah. What you, I'm, you know, that's my experience. And so what was interesting is why why doesn't it occur to them? Or maybe the penny's dropping now with all these congressional investigations. But And then I want to get back into the issue of gender because it's the same thing. They It never occurs. What happens in Silicon Valley particularly? It's a, you know, it's an echo chamber mm-hmm. itself, right? Where yeah. you go to all these different events, it's all the same people, and they're talking about the things that matter to them, which is different than what matters to the rest of the world. So mm-hmm. it's a very, um, it's a very insular community. It's mm-hmm. not that many people who influence a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And then it's a lot of people who are trying to make those people happy, because right. there's so much wealth and power concentrated in so few people that it's mm-hmm. distorted the kind of 
social mechanisms which would make people understand what else is going on in the yeah, world. Yeah, I do, though. It's fascinating because I find them un, uh, naively optimistic. Like, about, I don't think they necessarily, it's an odd because I will have conversations where I genuinely believe they believe this isn't happening or that it's not their fault. Like, it's sort of, I call them open wounds. They're like, oh, we feel bad this happened. I'm like, yeah, but you made it. <clears throat> you know what I mean? Which is an interesting thing. So what is that, where are we then in Silicon Valley in, the, in this issue? And then the next section we'll talk about Project Include. I think it's hard because as you said, people don't feel accountability. So mm-hmm. then they don't feel any kind of responsibility to clean it up. So I don't know. I don't have that much hope for like, maybe the congressional hearings will push people a little bit more. Maybe... But people still use the products, right? Mm-hmm. There are still people who are using Uber, who are using Facebook. You know, you know that they're selling every bit of information they can, mm-hmm. and they're advertising to you based on everything that you've done. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't prevent people from using it. Like I think people have gotten really addicted and really tied into these products. Mm-hmm. And you know, the hope is that they'll fix these products, that they'll you know kind of reset their cultures, that they'll bring in people at higher levels who have different perspectives, not just gender, but race and age and mm-hmm. sexual orientation and immigrant status, you know, all of these different aspects that are different from who's currently running things. But it's super slow. People aren't tracking it. And it doesn't seem to have an impact on product. So do you feel positive about them? I feel positive about like these new companies, mm-hmm. you know, at um, Project Include, this nonprofit I started to with seven other women to try to push for change in tech, there are these like early stage startup CEOs who get it. And they're like, you know, I'm doing it because it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. I'm doing it because I want better product. I'm doing it because I want to be able to recruit people in 15 years when 75% of the population is either female or, you know, non-binary or, um, or underrepresented person of color. And I, you know, I know this is where I have to go and I'm excited about it. Because right. when I go to work and I see people working together and they seem happy and they feel included and they feel like they belong, it makes my day. And so these are the people I think who are going to take tech into the right direction. I don't, you know, I think this desire to be the next Mark Zuckerberg, this desire to have the next Facebook is incredibly toxic. Mm-hmm. And we have to move past that. All right. We're going to talk about that next with Ellen Powell. She's the author of a new book, Reset, My Fight for Inclusion and Lasting Change. Obviously, Ellen was very well known for suing her former employee, the venture capital firm Kleiner, Perkins, Caulfield, and Byers for gender discrimination. But we'll talk about what she's doing next because there is something after that. (laughs) Today's show is brought to you by TransferWise. Do you ever need to send money internationally? Maybe you're an engineer who moved to the U.S. or a business owner paying suppliers in another country or a freelancer getting paid by a client in a foreign country. You should use TransferWise because when it comes to sending money, banks are stuck in the past. TransferWise is the future. You pay into a local account and TransferWise pays your recipient from an account in their country. Currencies don't need to cross borders, and that should matter to you because it lets TransferWise do the things your bank can't. They charge you one low fee and give you a low rate that your cheap Uncle Larry would be proud of. Is your bank slow and hard to use? TransferWise payments take seconds to set up. See how much you can save by going to TransferWise.com or download the app from the Apple Store or Google Play. Once again, that's transferwise.com. Transfer as in, I need to transfer money to another country. Wise, spelled W-I-S-E. Transferwise.com. 
I also want to tell you about Too Embarrassed to Ask, my other podcast, which I host with Lauren Good from The Verge. That's me. Hello. Hi. Hi. Hi again. Hi. Here you are again. Yes. Like you just can't you get can, rid of me. I cannot as much as I try. Mm-hmm. As much as you try to put arsenic in my cereal. Exactly. Every Friday we answer your questions about consumer text. Lauren, speaking of arsenic in your cereal, what did we talk about this week? Yes. Well, I mentioned arsenic in cereal because we talked uh, with Consumer Reports CEO Marta Teato, who's in studio with us. Marta, what did we speak about this week? Gosh, we talked about a lot of stuff. We talked about some of the food testing we do and the baby cereal and the arsenic that we found in the baby cereal. Mm-hmm. And that's why we have to keep doing the testing. And also where we're going in consumer tech and how we review we these. We talked about tech. We talked about how we need to dig into some of the privacy issues that we're seeing in tech and data security. And that you need a trusted voice in this confusing cacophony of and we And we are yes. that trusted voice. In an ad environment, we remain the only ad-free place you can go as a consumer. Yes. That's free. That's why, that is why I say ka-ching every episode. <laughs> exactly. It was a great discussion. We hope you go listen to it. You can find Too Embarrassed to Ask on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Too Embarrassed to Ask. See you there. We're here with Ellen Pow, the author of a new book, Reset, My Fight for Inclusion and Lasting Change. Ellen and I have been talking about a lot of things, including not just uh, gender discrimination and sexual harassment, but how lots of things are changing in Silicon Valley or not changing. So you talk about Project Include and what you're doing and what you hope. Because, you know, I find it's fascinating because you seem to have a much more hopeful, uh, you know, given all you've been through than I do. I don't. I don't. I don't think people And I don't change. blame you. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know that people can change, but I think the people who are in charge can change. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I hope that happens. I think, I guess it was in the end of 2015, I started meeting with some people and I end up meeting with um, a few folks including like Erica Joy Baker Mm -hmm. and Tracy Chow and we ended up talking about like okay everybody now is talking about the problem Mm -hmm. how do we actually fix it Mm -hmm. we're seeing all these unconscious bias training or I'm going to go recruit at this conference for women and you know then I'm going to talk about it in the press and then I'm done Yeah. yeah And we're just like, this is all so terrible and it's just really embarrassing. How Mm -hmm. can we help and give people what they need to actually change? We, the eight of us got together and we spent, you know, several months putting together 87 recommendations, grouping Mm -hmm. them into different categories. And, you know, our core values were very consistent, very easy to come up with. And I think they still hold true today, two years later. One, you need to make sure that you're including everyone. There are so many efforts and, and and it's super frustrating to us to see all these efforts around gender. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to include some women, and then everybody can feel good. Right. All the women on my team feel good, but you know, I'm not solving the problem. I'm just mm-hmm. making that in-group a little bit bigger. Right. And then I'm just you know ignoring all the other people, and sure. a lot of them have much worse problems. Like right. are treated much more poorly. And but I feel like I'm taking care of my daughter because I have a daughter, and I'm going to you know, uh, make sure the world is good for her when she becomes old enough. Sure. Like that is the reason I hear most often from mm-hmm. some of these old line um, male executives. No, I get that. That drives me crazy. I have to tell you. Like, what about your sons? Like, I yeah, think what son- kind of world do you want them to yeah, be in? Yeah, you know, it's funny yeah. because I remember when Donald Trump said that the remark about pussy grabbing, and they're like, well, I have a daughter. I'm like, yeah, but you have a son. Like, what, what about this? Like, having a daughter is not the reason you should do it. It's because no. it's the one right thing to do, too. You got a guy you don't want a kid. Like, whoever child you have, it has to be thinking of it. So what's the point of it right now? What are you doing? And I, I do want to talk about Kapoor Capital, too, yeah. what you're doing. Um, so we're coming up with recommendations around helping CEOs 
come up with inclusive plans and then comprehensive plans and then also measuring them. So we have two programs. One is called Startup Include. One is called VC Include. And Startup Include works with startups and mostly with the CEOs. And we work with them to use surveys to figure out what the demographics and sentiment are of all of their employees. And then we group them by different underrepresented groups and then see Oh, the, you know, you have one group that is unhappy about compensation. Like, mm-hmm. let's think of some ways to try to, you know, uh, either educate them about what you're doing that's fair or make your process more fair or figure out where you are mm-hmm. and just give very specific recommendations on how to, you know, how to to be inclusive and how to, you know, and a lot of it tra- turns around hiring, like how to bring um, people in to make your teams diverse. You and I talked about this, the blind hiring. When we were on stage at Code or All Things mm-hmm. D one year, the idea that there should be blind hiring, that was one of your yeah. concepts. Because it, it, you just see study after study, people are really biased and they just they can't, can't get out of it. Right. Yeah, they can't, they just can't do it. Um, uh, one of the women on Project Include, uh, Laura Gomez, has a product where you know it helps with with hiring using data and analytics and she was telling me the story about this um you know this woman who was dinged in uh, in an interview process but then when she went through a kind of blind hiring process she had the best technical score out of anybody mm-hmm. and they ended up hiring her um one of um atypica's clients and you know it, it was the bias that prevented her from being hired because they assumed she wasn't good technically right right because of lots of reasons and also there's this idea of fit they use the what's really hard about this all i think if i really have to think about it is that especially in tech is they think so well of themselves and they're actually nicer people like it's not like a wall street person with a stripper like that's easy like okay i get you pretty quickly or so or whatever any of those industries that are well known for for more sort of dude behavior bad dude behavior not dude behavior but it's you know and they use the term tech bro which is probably slightly unfair to use but it does seem to fit a lot of people but that it's they don't feel that it's them like it's not they're like nice people and yet the same results happen right and then Mm -hmm. they don't want to face the fact that maybe they're not like they don't ever want to admit that perhaps they still have the same problem which is a hard problem to deal with like in gender like i don't think they purposely don't want great tech skills and yet that's exactly what happened they use the term fit a lot they use a term like lots of terms they use yeah i think so i think there are two things going on one i think there is a set of people that we were talking about earlier this group of people who actually think that women and maybe black people and maybe Mm -hmm. latinx people and maybe you know other other groups of people are actually not equal yeah they're and then they skilled. pull and they they're cherry pick skilled. science so they certainly that's what demore certainly did i think yeah and and you know you have to lower the bar to bring them in like people use kind of this weird language to mm-hmm. explain it because they don't actually want to say i think women are not as good as men or mm-hmm. i think black people are not as right. good as they white use the word standards we have standards we have standards they never bring up more. standards with white men, and you know a lot of stupid white men. Like you know, it's oh my fascinating. Gosh. Never, and they just keep getting funded. I know, I know exactly. But what's interesting is the word "standards" never comes up except when it has to do with putting a woman on a board or whatever. And yeah. I'm like, I don't think it's standards for the group you got there now. Like where no. are those standards? Yeah, and and in most cases, it's, you're like raising the bar to prevent that person from coming on board, and mm-hmm. it's um, and I think it's toxic. And then I think the second thing is, I do think people really want to believe that tech is a meritocracy yes. and they are meritocratic yes and then do. when you call out like well why do you have no women in your venture capital firm they become very defensive mm-hmm. and then they come up with all these reasons can't and find them yep can't find or, or there's only one mm-hmm. that's qualified and you don't want to work here yeah we tried um, yeah we so, got a no yeah 
They're not as good at it. There's no the pipeline. Pipeline. Oh, there's no pipeline of them. What is to you the problem? I, I think it's all of the above. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. you know, there's definitely isn't, a pipeline issue. No there's question. definitely a pipeline issue. But you know, I think more people would come into it if there were there was a better place to go. There were more role models. You could right. see a path in these companies. But also, there is a better pipeline than actually gets hired. Mm-hmm. You're not looking hard enough, and you're right. not Especially actually finding people for sure for boards. Oh yeah, where I think a lot of it starts. Yeah, it was interesting. I was talking to somebody who's his board members were like, "Oh, you know, we need to bring more diversity to this board." And, you know, he was kind of talking to me about it. And I'm like, then you need to tell him that he needs to get off the board. <laughs> like, if he's not happy that it's all white men on the board, then mm-hmm. he needs to get off. He needs to step off and bring somebody Who else on him. his team or somebody, you know, right. if he doesn't have one, then mm-hmm. somebody else. Like, you know, they want it all the ways and they're not willing to actually right. do the hard work to make right. it happen. Right, right. Because right. something someone has to give away something, yeah. essentially. So what else do you do at Project Include? Those are the kind of things you're Those trying to do. Those are the kind of things. And then, um, and then we do a lot of you know, evangelism, advocacy, but the core things are working with the CEOs. And then we found great CEOs who are interested and excited and that we think are leaders in tech. So, Mm -hmm. you know, Dustin Moskovitz, Mm -hmm. um, uh, Jack Conti, people who we think are doing great things and also that other people will follow. Right. right? So So when they're successful, we continue, you know, they can be advocates for, for um, diversity and inclusion. And then, you know, that get that kind of tech flywheel going. Are people getting tired of the discussion? Because it feels like maybe they don't want to hear it anymore. I, I definitely can feel that. I get it on things like, yeah. don't care, stop talking about it. No, I don't oh, really? About it. Yeah, yeah. I'm not friends with those people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but they do. They're, I, I believe you. I think yeah. part of it is, I think You can see it in their feel, eyes, too. Yeah, uh, they feel a little bit like... Under siege. Under siege, and then they don't know what to do. Like, right. they want to solve the problem, but they actually don't want to do the work. Mm-hmm. So they just want it to go away. And why do you yeah. keep bringing it up like yeah, this lady hey we fired this guy already why aren't you happy with that because mm-hmm. you replaced him with somebody who looks just like him right mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. why because you are setting yourself up for that same problem mm-hmm. why don't you just fix it so i think it's like partly oh i actually don't believe there's a problem it's partly i don't know how to fix a problem so i want to pretend there's no problem and then it's partly like I'd rather talk about something else that's right. more exciting than something that's going to bring me down. Right. So what your suit with Kleiner was about gender discrimination, but sexual harassment has already has gotten more of the focus. And I do think sexual harassment is pervasive, but less of a problem than gender discrimination. You know what I mean? Because I think they do go hand in hand and they're part of the same toxic tree. But sexual harassment, a lot of people can go, oh, no, no, no. Like a lot of men will do not like this, do not want this to happen in their company, etc. And most of the really problematic people are patterned. They do it in a patterned way. Most of the, the more annoying sexual harassment are these microaggressions like smile more, you should smile more, or don't you look pretty, the, which oh, are like... Go get the cookies. Go, yeah, whatever. The notes, which are yeah. like, which are more around the gender discrimination kind of thing. That's the thing I worry about. The, the, the people are like, oh, we're going to fix the sexual harassment issue, which I think is probably easier to fix than the other part and ignore what I think is the more problematic issue. I don't. I don't know because I I hear about people saying that I'm not going to meet with a woman. Yes, one on one. Oh, yes. Yeah, so no, no. I'm that's gonna, definitely. Yeah. yeah so I, I it's don't the Mike know. Pence thing. That's like the. Yeah. Mike Pence. I don't know if they're going to fix it. They're going to pence makes sense. It. Yeah, yeah. 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 I don't know. I think I, ha- I have to be able to control my. Like I can't control myself, and therefore I'm not going to help women anymore. That's the that's, right. that's the thing. It's right. Like, and that's what, and why don't you just control yourself? Yeah. And so why are all these women complaining? It just means we're never going to hire women. Right. Um, right. I don't know. I. I think it's like, how do you pick which is the bigger problem? Mm-hmm. And then I think 
the discrimination also ties to like people who discriminate against women are also likely to be discriminating against people based on race and age age and all different types of things because they're tied to the person that looks exactly like them so I don't know it's all it's all ugly yeah so what do we do Alan yeah I think a big part of it is you know I hope this next generation of workers Mm -hmm. and I believe they are much more informed Mm -hmm. they're much like you know like Tracy was maybe 26 or 28 when she no I think she was 26 when she created a database of Mm -hmm a GitHub repository for, you know, where are people in terms of their engineering teams Mm -hmm. in demographics, right? Right. So at 26, I was like totally clueless. Mm -hmm. I didn't, I had no idea what was going on. I thought everything was meritocratic and I was like working my hardest to get my way up. Um, So I think that next generation is much more aware. I'm hoping that people telling their stories makes them even more aware so that, you know, they are looking for the right companies to join. And it's these companies that are people who are interested in diversity and inclusion, who are listening and who are changing and who are not taking the old kind of admissions committee model of, you know, cultural fit and, you know, do I want to be on a plane with you for 24 hours in a row mm-hmm. as their guides and they're joining these other companies that are using technology to make blind admissions who are using technology to make sure that performance reviews are fair and just adopting you know and experimenting to try to make things better mm-hmm. and you you're now at Kapoor Capital what are you doing there what is the explain so I'm I am Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer at the KPOR Center, which mm-hmm. is an affiliated um, nonprofit foundation. And then I also am a venture partner at KPOR Capital. So mm-hmm. I work with entrepreneurs, with founders, with CEOs on making their um, companies diverse and inclusive. And then I also look at investments. Mm-hmm. Is, do you think that's catching? Because, you know, Mitch and Frida are very, this has been one of their things for many years. Decades. Decades. Yeah. yeah. Really. And it, it does seem like it's changing. Like I get you know, we hear from venture capital firms that are interested in uh, in adopting our founders' commitment, where founders commit to making their companies diverse and inclusive mm-hmm. before we will actually invest in them. And they commit to having um, impact and making sure that they're impacting. What is the commitment? How can you uh, make them do it? It's, you know, we don't, we're not going to say, oh, we're going to kick you out. But when they state that they want to make their teams diverse and mm-hmm. inclusive, they are signing up to participate in a set of workshops that we have in kind of sharing information and in uh, working with us on our different initiatives to make sure that, like, they understand how, how do you write a code of conduct? How do you form your values? Mm-hmm. What should you be thinking about as you look for an investor? And to have this holistic view and comprehensive view of what, Right. Know, what inclusion means. What did you think about the decency pledge? I know you're not going to slam. I hated it. I hated it. Kara Swisher hated it. <laughs> I think I, I think I slammed it. In yeah. The, in the New York Times. I, it just. Uh, yeah, you did. What did it do? Nothing. Exactly. It did absolutely nothing. It's what, you know, um, it's, it's, it's another tepid diversity initiative that makes people feel good about themselves, but accomplishes nothing. Nothing. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So if you, Ellen Powell, was God of Silicon Valley. Um, which I think would scare a lot of people. What are the three things you would do? I know it sounds like kind of a silly question, but it's not. What would you? I mean, I would just take a ton of money. Like, Mm -hmm. I think if you could get, I don't know, maybe even just like $25 billion Mm -hmm. and give it to like the smartest people of color, women of color, women to Mm -hmm. invest, Mm -hmm. it would change the landscape. 
it's not going to happen. The LPs, I don't know where they are, but they've been completely silent on these issues. They have. I've, I've heard of one or two who have taken issue with the sexual harassment because, as mm-hmm. you say, that's a much yeah. easier. Oh one no, to nobody draw a line likes at. that. Nobody yeah. likes boob grabbing. No, no, Mm-mm. or yeah, because that's actionable too. That's like gender discrimination is a much yeah. more difficult. Yeah, and thing. and you don't feel good about being in the company no. with a harasser or no. investing in the firm with a harasser, right. and it's embarrassing. Mm-hmm. But I think. You know, I think if you gave money to people and they were able to invest it in the best companies and the best entrepreneurs and the best founders without all this bias hanging over them, you'd have a different world. If and then different investors. You'd have different investors, you have different founders, you'd have different people succeeding mm-hmm. instead of only white men are getting the money, so only white men succeed, and then it just reinforces, oh, only white men should be getting money. You mean they're not just not better than us? <laughs> what? So You can say yeah. no. 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 And so are you hopeful for what's happening now? Because it's just, it, they feel, yeah. I'm not, because I just think they're going to just paper it over. I think in the last year, the amount of change we've seen in people's perceptions has been yes. immense. So yeah. that makes me Thank think, you, Uber. Right? Yeah. No, yeah. really, in a lot of ways, because I think it's Thank me, you, Susan Fowler. Yes, that's right. of course. Um, but I, I think I wrote a piece called Thank You, Susan Fowler. But I think it's not just that, it's that, that people can't look away. Like that, that it's the quintessence of all of it. Like it just seemed yeah. like everything drained down into Hooper, and there it was, and it's glory, and it's, it's horrible. Change people's framework for right. thinking about right. What I hope it's companies. not. Everyone's goes, oh, it's just Uber, right? And I don't think so. I think then you saw like SoFi, and then you saw like all these other companies, and it's mm-hmm. just been a kind of a storm of when does that stop? Do you imagine firings. it stopping? Um, it doesn't seem to be. Yeah. I think there's still a lot of cleanup. I mean, these are this is as you said, it is not mm-hmm. just Uber. They may be the worst mm-hmm. potentially, but it is there are many other companies that have been in this toxic tech culture. Mm-hmm. I think um so I think like that gives me hope that mm-hmm. people will actually make the changes. And when I talk to people who are now speaking up and like they're doing little things that are making a difference, you know, I talk to you know, you know people who are speaking up and and going public and then you have the technology through medium and twitter Mm -hmm. to reach so many people in your own voice without no offense having to go through the press and having that i know um, it's the media's fault oh it's not but it's (laughs) but it's different like you feel a lot more control like to feel Mm -hmm. like you have control over your story if you're going to do and say something sensitive so i think that makes a huge difference and i think um and i'm hopeful but I agree with you. Like there are not indications that it's changing. Mm-hmm. Like we have a ton of work to do. We have just changed the nature of people believing the problem or not. Right. And do you worry because of the larger culture and with Trump and the White House and the stuff that spews out of his Twitter yeah. stream every moment? I mean, I I think that's a huge problem, and it's making people who otherwise would be quiet speak up. But mm-hmm. in some ways, it is good. Like you hear that person, you fire them. Right? Mm-hmm. They're out. Mm-hmm. Get out. Yeah. Uh, and I think. It also has activated a lot of people where yeah. they feel like, oh, I just can't be quiet anymore because look what happens. Right. Also, I think a lot of times people get exhausted and are in a perpetual state of rage and it creates intolerance too. You know what I mean? Like that stuff at Berkeley, I'm like, just let the guy talk. I know he's gross, but let's just... I, I feel a little bit different. Like I know people are like, I'm oh, older. I'm being damaged by it. I'm like, oh, you can take it. But I feel like like this is my home. This I know. is my community. That yeah. feels a little bit harder. And when the kids are, you know, there's some kids who are probably like 14, 16 who are mm-hmm. going to college. Really, like to have that in your community base doesn't feel good. And no, I know, no. You know, it's a bastion of free speech over at Berkeley. It's hard. but I know. But at the same time, it's like that's then they come at you. Like you give them an excuse to come at you if you don't let them. But they have platforms. I know, but you know, you know, yeah, like it's more complicated. They don't have to be nice. We do like that. You know what I mean? Like, I know it sounds 
it's unfair and stuff like that. So last question. Uh, so we, what is your goal with this book? What is your, do you have a goal? Yeah, one you just felt like typing. Thing. Oh God, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, about myself for yeah. so many pages. No, mm-hmm. that was not the goal. I think um, a lot of it was there were so many people who were so supportive and then, you know, they connected with different parts of my story and I wanted to just give them the whole mm-hmm. kind of, unsmeared version mm-hmm. and I also wanted to make people feel positive about tech there's so mm-hmm. many good things about tech it's a shockingly positive book yeah I could not have written it like two Hillary years ago. is kind of pissed she's kind of pissed she's in a pissed yeah well go. she wrote fast she, wrote, like, she didn't have good time good book it's, she's pissed she, pissed. she was on yeah. stage at code this year and when she got off the stage I'm like you're in trouble you're pissed because they're yeah. gonna be not like you being pissed kind of stuff um, but it's but what she it's, went through. Yeah. Like what she went through. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Really. True. true. I would be pissed too. Yeah. But I think that, you know, I want to like, there's so many good things about tech. There's so many awesome products and there's so many things that can change the world. Mm-hmm. Like I want to make sure that people stayed in it, that mm-hmm. they don't take a look at it and see it's pretty toxic and maybe I should go do something else. Right. We need mm-hmm. people to come in and we need people to succeed. Right. And I'm hoping to help them by you know understanding what's going on around them by giving them some tips and then by you know showing like the positive side of it yeah sort of the attitude about democracy it's the worst system ever except for all the rest tech yeah. feels like that it's the worst system ever yeah. except for all the rest but you like you've enjoyed much of it right i, I mean, have i just i get i'm like at some point i'm like are you kidding? you see the system and it's so bad and it's so hard to change and no, there are people it's just, so wedded mostly to it. it's that they it, they're so not easy to pin down i guess because they are nice right so it's not yeah. like you're dealing with just flat out assholes who you are lying I mean? to you and right it's sort of them. like you know you get definitely an uber I definitely was like okay i got them i got i got what they are but it's more insidious because it's so oh, yeah the vcs are all so nice I yeah mean, that's their job like you know what i mean and then you're like they don't even understand it doesn't even occur to them and that that's what, and then you have to be mad to get their attention and that was that does work when you're mad at them and and that's, well, that's tiring. not the way you, it's that's a tired. Exhausting. It's exhausting. Yeah. So last question: What is the thing you oh, want? The other people? one was the last question. What? No, this is my last right. question. You're gonna have to answer it. It's it's my empire here. At, <laughs> <laughs> at <Code. laughs> All right. What What is the thing that you think people don't get about you, Ellen Powell? Oh, I don't one. know. I think it, like, you know, I'm just trying to do the right thing. I don't people really. You are actually very right funny. Thing. I think people don't get that. Maybe, you know? yeah. I've met somebody like, oh my God, you're so warm and friendly. Yeah, I was like, yeah. oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you're inscrutable, Ellen. No, no. Um, but it's it, 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 that you are not the, you've become an iconic thing and therefore you become a cartoon of yourself probably in some way. Yeah, well, also the PR, that huge PR campaign didn't help. Yeah, it's probably true. Anyway, Ellen Powell's new book is called Reset. Is it going to become a movie with Shonda Rhimes? Are you, is that what you're talking about? I'm interviewing her next week. Let's oh, no, I'm, I ran into her at um, a conference and then I ran into her at TED mm-hmm. and we just chatted. Chatted and stuff yeah. like that. Is there, I love is, her though. Is, is, I think she's, she's awesome. I'm excited to interview her. I'm super excited. I'm, I'm she's, a huge fan. Yeah, she's um, she's, she's a powerhouse. She's yeah. kind of powerhouse. Is it going to become a movie or anything like that? Is it going anywhere else? Or? We'll see. Maybe Who's you can do a cameo. <laughs> no, thank you. No, thank you. No, thank you very I much. That's not me. All right, Ellen, it was great talking to you. Thanks for coming on the show. If you enjoyed the interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to the show. Ellen, how do people find you? This reset is on Am- Reset, my fight for inclusion and lasting changes on Amazon and elsewhere. Or the- and elsewhere in bookstores and airports. And uh, I am on Twitter at EKP. 
and I have a website, ellenkpow.com. And you also are doing Project Include, and if you want Project to look into Include, that. and Kpoor Center. Kpoor Center. Anyway, if you enjoyed the interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to the show. Be the first to listen to future episodes or catch up on previous episodes, including some really fantastic interviews we've done with investor Maha Ibrahim, Greylock partner Reed Hoffman, and diversity advocate Sarah Kunst and Erica Baker. Whom, oh, uh, I love them. Yes, just to name a few. You can find all those episodes and more wherever you found this one or on our website, recode.net slash podcast. Now that you're done with this, check out one of our other shows, Recode Media with Peter Kafka. You'll hear no BS interviews with some of the smartest people in media entertainment. I also host Too Embarrassed to Ask along with Lauren Good of The Verge where we answer all of your questions about consumer tech. And on Recode Replay, you can find audio from all of Recode's live events, including the Code Conference. Thanks for listening to this bonus episode of Recode Decode. By the way, you can hear Ellen's interview many years ago. We have it there. Oh, cool. It's on there. Thanks for listening. Thanks also to Cadence 13, the company that distributes the show, including Beth O'Connell and our editor, Chris Basil. And thank you to our producer, Eric Johnson. I'll be back Monday with another great guest. Tune in then. Hi, this is Dan Fromer, Editor-in-Chief at Recode. I'm here to tell you about a new project we just launched, the Recode 100, and ask for your help. We're trying to make a list of the people in the tech and business worlds who made the biggest impact this year, the winners of 2017. Executives, entrepreneurs, movement starters, designers, whoever, primarily in tech media and commerce, but also some of our new focus areas like transportation, policy, and robotics. We'll unveil the full list and throw a big party for the winners later this year, but for now, we need your nominations. So if you know someone who kicked ass this year or is a rising star in their field, head to recode.net slash submit by Monday, October 16th to nominate someone and for more information. That's recode.net slash submit.